All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Mind of George Show. I'm in a very special location, not my studio, because I am in my office in Austin, Texas with Joe Blaster, but I am stoked for today's episode. We have a repeat guest. We have my dear friend, this absolute marketing genius, principal, human being, incredible person named Andrew Kaplan. And on today's podcast, we talk about why most people don't follow through their commitments, how to cut through the noise so you can attract your ideal clients, the importance of understanding human behaviors and how it applies into your marketing, the five reasons why someone would take an action, and how Andrew sold over 100,000 copies of his first book, and the three words that you have to use to sell 100,000 of anything that you want. So I can't do this episode justice. It was an incredible conversation. We had to listen to it multiple times to bring notes because it's just jam-packed with nuggets. So without further ado, let's cue the intro. Are you ready to ethically scale your business? Good. Because this is the Mind of George podcast where relationships beat algorithms and depth is the only direction when it comes to ethically scaling your business. Each Monday and Friday, I'll be the guy between your ears in the hoodie and pink shoes guiding you home, giving you the tools to extract, honor, and amplify your genius so you can be the light for your customers. Sound fabulous? Cool. Let's get into the episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Mind of George Show. I am stoked today to have a repeat guest. He's an incredible human being. He's got a brilliant mind, and he's an incredible author. And we had him on the show before. We talked about marketing. We talked about life. We talked about a lot of different things in his first book, The Last Law of Attraction book you'll ever need to read, and I almost butchered it, so I'm glad I wrote it down. And today, I actually found out that he has a new book coming out, and it piques so much curiosity in me. I'm like, Andrew, you've got to come on the show. We've got to talk about it. And so he is here today. So, Andrew, welcome back to the show. George, thank you so much for having me, man. It's, it's always a pleasure and an honor, really, to be invited back. And I took pride in, in almost making you butcher the title. That means I made it nice and long, right? You made it nice and long, but I mean, I understand that game. And I, I remind people that I also named my first business civilized caveman cooking creations.com. So, you know, I have no room to speak about confusing names or titles because that was, that was, that was something I'm like, as an entrepreneur, I don't carry much embarrassment, but I was like, did my first website really say civilized caveman cooking creations.blogspot.com? That was the first one in 2010. And I was like, I basically made it impossible to find my website. So luckily mm. I bought all the misspelled domains and it helped me in the future. So I, I think you're great. I think you're great. Yeah. So you know, it's, it's funny you say that. It's like, it's a critical part of the process where whether or not it's a mistake, you go through things that you see as mistakes because it helps you make better decisions and faster and more efficient decisions when it's time for a new step that you're going to take. And this is why I love your perspective, my friend, because that is, that is the name of this game. Rinse, repeat, and it's funny. Over over the years, every every year in business, the name got shorter and shorter, and so it ended up just being civilizedcaveman.com. You know, seven years later, uh, but yeah, I learned a lot of lessons in that one. I give a whole lot more foresight into thinking about the future and the possibility rather than throwing out all the ideas. And so, yeah. I'm pretty. And not to speak for you, George, but based on the way I know the way your mind works, that when you're advising people, those are key pieces of insight whether you're just unconsciously drawing from where you're giving someone's throwing something at you like, listen, that's, that's going to work, but not as well as this because of X, Y, and Z. And now we've got this going on. Yep. Yeah. I have a treasure chest of, uh, of wisdom learned and mistakes made that were obviously lessons, but I try to tell people, I'm like, I'm going to speed up the process for you because I lost millions of dollars and what feels like millions of hours, but we can, we can speed up this process now. And so I love it. So just really quickly for anybody that's new to the show that didn't hear the first episode, can you kind of just give us an overarching view of the last law of attraction book you'll ever need to read? Like just to set some context, because I feel like it feeds into very well where you are now. Yeah. Well, first of all, I mean, I was very pleased to have just crossed the amazing threshold of selling 100,000 copies of the book. And, you know, when I give a title, it's really a bold promise. The last law of attraction book you'll ever need to read. It came with the understanding of my own direct experience, having read Law of Attraction books myself and, and gone through the whole thing, um, is that any Law of Attraction book worth its salt is going to hopefully explain the Law of Attraction in a user-friendly way and hopefully provide manifesting techniques or whatever you might want to call it 
so that people can actually implement what they're learning and, and invite and attract better results in their lives. And what I wanted to do is add this third element, which was identifying that a lot of people read these books, they get excited, they try it out, they even begin to get results, and then they still quit. And I thought to myself, if I could answer that question for them and show them how to quit quitting and actually stay consistent with the method so that they can actually get a result that they can hang their hats on, no pun intended here as I hold my own hat here, that to me would have been a worthwhile thing. And that would be adding something new to the conversation where quite frankly, it isn't even hundreds of books. It's like over a thousand love traction books out there. I love that, man. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I consume what you put into the world and, and, and I'm a big fan and I love what feels like easy for you to take these big concepts, these big ideas and break them down into frameworks that are understandable. But I think even more so to give you some kudos, not even that understandable, but, but you tend, in my opinion, to think in this fashion of, I don't want what I put out into the world to become shelf help. I don't want somebody to just consume it. I want them to do something with it. And I think that like, that's why I'm so attracted to what you post and what you share. But I feel like it comes in the lens of like what you just said is that I think that's an important question a lot of people don't ask. They spend a lot of time of like, what do I write? What do I share? What do I teach people? But they never go over that last mile of like, how do we ensure that not only does somebody consume it, but then they take action on it and then continue to take that action. So what's that process like for you? Because that, in my experience... <laughs> That is not a normal thought process that I run into. Typically, mm -hmm. I meet everybody in the, here's my idea. Here's what I'm posting. And I was like, yeah, but in that customer journey game, that last mile that you prioritize is so powerful and it's not normal. Yeah. Well, first of all, I love the term shelf help. You, it's giving me um, a memory of like, you've said this to me before and it blew me away last time. And I don't know if it was on camera or not, but that is kind of where this begins, this motivation of not wanting to have that thing that collects dust on the shelf and is actually useful. And for me, like everything that we do, whenever we do something successful, it looks elegant, it looks easy, but that's because all of the stuff that, that happened on the way to it, it was a lot of bumps, bruises, a lot of blood, a lot of sweat, a lot of tears, a lot of mistakes, a lot of frustration, a lot of sleepless nights. And for me, it was just a self-identification and a journey for myself over 20 years of just trying to be better. And whether it was about the law of attraction or it was about fitness or it was about business, about marketing, about anything, learning stuff, reading books, going through programs and struggling with my own limitations of me not implementing. And it just, it gave me this insight, like this is in my humble opinion, the missing piece. It isn't, I mean, some of the information out there isn't good, but it isn't that all the information is no good. It's that even when there's good information out there, people are not following through, whether it's an issue with patience, an issue with confidence, an issue with something else or a combination. So for me, it's always about understanding the more personal problem is, the more universal is, meaning if this is my issue, it's everyone else's. So the trick is articulating it in a way that would make sense to me and then trying to translate that in a little bit broader way so that a random stranger who I've never met before will hopefully have it land for them as well. Yeah, I love that. And there's a there's an undertone to what you just said that I think is so powerful and I don't want it to be missed. Uh, but I feel like in the world of business and marketing and, and for a lack of better terms, attraction, <clears throat> what tends to be missed is that we typically attract people that are most like us, that resonate with the way that we speak, the way that we use words, the way that we think about content. And yet we try to solve challenges outside of ourselves without really looking at the easiest path that we have, which is ours, mm. right? I'm, I'm the same way. Like the reason that I create the content that I create is because I don't read books. I won't sit down and read long articles. Like I will consume 99% of content on video. And so I just have this natural proclivity where it's like, that's what I want to put into the world. And so with that, in that lens of like you reflecting in 20 years of like, okay, I consumed that, didn't keep it going. I started this fitness journey, didn't keep it going. I remember that piece of information I've heard nine times and yet I still haven't implemented it. What would you say are like the one to three things that you really reflected on in the mirror and started to put into practice to allow yourself to start to get that traction and get those results? 
Yeah, so one of the things that I bring up in the last law of attraction book you'll ever need to read is my definition of the ego. And I always say that because ego is such a loaded word and we all bring our own meaning to it. But my definition of the ego and its recognition of the part of our brain that all cares about is that we're alive. Meaning whatever, you know, money problems or relationship problems or even health problems you have right like right now, your ego is looking around saying, well, my person's alive right now and I don't want to risk the status quo. So even if there's a perceived improvement, I'm going to do what I can to leverage their fears, uncertainties, and doubts to prevent them from moving forward because I don't know if that change will threaten survivability. For example, someone wants to be rich and famous. And I probably said this on our last conversation. For all your ego knows is when you become famous, you get a stalker, and that's a threat to your survival. For all your ego knows is when you become rich, well, then you're going to have family coming out of the woodwork to try to sue you for your home or whatever else might be. So your ego loves you. It's a misguided attempt to protect you, but it will keep you stuck in place with what to you, you rationalize as perfectly um, feasible reasons why you can't do X, Y, Z, but really it's just a rational lies, that rational lie that you're giving yourself to keep in place. And like the key for all this is like one, the recognition of that, but two, um, and this is where I wouldn't have the same luxury if I were like in the fitness space, for example. Even though my way is not the only way, and even though willpower has a certain level of value, knowing that the ego will feed on our fears, uncertainties, and doubts, and knowing that we will always have the subconscious need to kind of get out of the work, I thought, what could I, if I could provide content where there is no resistance, there's no pain you have to go through? In other words, if the thing that I prescribe, for lack of a better word, that's going to get you where you need to be, if it's fun, and convenient and something that's fast that you can look forward to that fits in with your schedule, well, then there's a much higher likelihood that you will therefore be consistent and get the momentum and then get the result. And then once you have the result, not only do you have the confidence to continue, but it's also that same thing that's fun, fast, and convenient. So that was my mindset with the law of attraction content of, let me make this a, a no-brainer where it only takes five minutes a day. And people, even if they don't get their results yet, just doing the method in the moment is a win in and of itself because it's feeling good rather than being stressed out about your life or your spouse or your business or your finances or whatever else might be going on in your life. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And it, and it, really, it really plays into understanding that this is a game about progress, not perfection, right? Like we can make progress and make progress and make progress, which is actually like a kind of a perfect segue. And I got to give you kudos. So I have traditionally published a book, right? I'm a 22 week New York Times bestseller. And in that world, uh, I watch people sell 25,000 books and it's like one of the biggest accomplishments of their life, right? Like when you get up into the 100,000 book category, that is like sacred territory. That is, that is hollow ground that not many people stand on. And I remember, I never understood uh, until I got my book numbers and they told me how much anomaly that was. But I feel like, one of the reasons that you've been successful, and this is just my outside perspective looking in, is that you've made your book, and we'll talk about the new one as well, a priority to where you're not trying to do perfect launches or sell 100,000 books overnight. You are keeping it fun and fast and simple, and you're protecting progress over a grand scheme of time, which creates your book and really anything you put out in the world as a massive asset that lives forever the more that you breathe life into it. And so like, I just want to say massive kudos because selling a hundred thousand books, it puts you in, and I don't know the number, but it's in like the top 0.5% of all books. And so that is a massive, massive accomplishment. And I feel like hearing you speak and even hearing how your brain works and the way that you teach these methodologies, you basically applied the same thing you teach in the book to then sell the book and then get these incredible results that you're speaking about today. Yeah. And first of all, thank you so much for the acknowledgement, George. Like, I mean this, you know, it sounds like, you know, sunshine and roses or whatever, but coming from you, I take that as a high compliment. And, and for me, yeah, it, it is a bit surreal to think like I've passed that hundred thousand um, bookmark, but by that same token, the initial goal is like a million and I'm being patient with myself. And, you know, the, the hundred thousand, it took um, two and a half years, it took two and a half years for that to happen. And it could have just as easily been two and a half months or two and a half decades, but whatever time frame it was ever going to be, I was always going to stay on point because I believe in it. So I'm on mission. And I think it's an important thing 
I think sometimes, you know, we have that cliche of do what you love, but no one ever asks like, well, why is it important to do what you love? And in my humble opinion, the reason you're just supposed to do what you love or actually just do something that inspires you or pushes you every day, because only in that way will you be patient with yourself and resilient and stick with it, even when things aren't perfect. And um, one thing that I mentioned in the new book um, is something I learned from Dan Kennedy, not personally, but just reading his books, is I remember a story he told where even after he'd already made it as a multimillionaire, he made this um, almost pact with himself that every single day in some way, shape or form, whether it was a big thing or a small thing, he was going to do at least one thing in service to his business. And that, again, could have been hosting a sold out marketing event or just answering an email or a fax back when faxes were a thing. And that's what I take with me into this. This conversation we're having, it counts as that one thing. If nothing, for all the emails I've already answered today, each of those candidates are one thing. I just posted on social media because the last Soul Attraction book you already need to read, it hit 2,500 ratings and reviews on the Amazon site, which I wanted to highlight and thank people for. All these things, big or small, at least one thing is done every single day. And that's the attitude I take with it, regardless of what the actual numbers are, because I really believe in the message and the mission of it. Yeah, man, I love that. I don't even know who said it. It's probably been a rebutchered quote 8 million times, but it was something along the lines of like, people overestimate what they can do in a year and they underestimate what they can do in 10. And yes. I, I love that because like, even your philosophy is something that I take every day. Like uh, somebody interviewed me the other day and they're like, how do you view success? I was like, well, when I go to bed at night, it's gone. I view every day as a reset. I have to earn my marriage. I have to earn my kids. I have to earn my team. I have to earn my business. And I look at every day as like, what is my minimum input that's going to protect my progress? As long as it's heading in the direction that is somewhere that I want to go, I'm going to prioritize that and celebrate that to keep the momentum going, also to build the confidence that I can do this and to have respect for myself, to not move the starting line or the finish line or collect evidence that it should be done somewhere differently, but really prioritizing on like what matters and making sure that every day we chunk that down. And I love Dan Kennedy. His stuff is incredible. He is a, one of the greatest minds in the game of like business and marketing. And, and, I, and I love that, that whole ethos. And I feel like before we get into your new book, what I love about your books and the one that you wrote and the new one, and even your philosophy around how you take action is the parallels. And it's really easy to talk about like how you sell a hundred thousand books, but if you remove the lens of book, it's the same applicable principle to every bucket of entrepreneurship, of every bucket of business, of every bucket of fitness. And so I want to set that tone for everybody listening because we're going to talk about the book is called like, what is it called? How? So three words I use to sell a hundred thousand books, three words I use to sell a hundred thousand books. And, and, it, and it's really easy, but when everybody's listening to this, what I want you to do is I don't want you to listen through the lens of a book or a nonfiction book, unless you have one and plenty of time, listen to that, but understand that these principles are the same principles that can be applied to a course or to a program, or to a product, or to your social media, or towards your business. And so I just wanted to set that stage. And so now, uh, will you set the tone? Like, how did you go from, uh, how did you go from the last law of attraction book you'll ever need to read to, you know what, I'm gonna write another book, which by the way, is not a easy process from somebody who's done it, to I'm gonna publish the three words I used to sell 100 books. Like, what was that look like? Was there an inflection point? Like what brought you to that area to decide that like that was the next place you wanted to go? Yeah. Well, first, before answering that, just a quick acknowledgement. I love the way your mind works because you instantly identified that the book, even though it is targeted for nonfiction authors, it is a sales and marketing book in disguise. And like, I, I love people that spot that because there's so much gold just in that mindset. Um, to, to answer your question is very interesting because we were just saying like 100,000 books or 50,000, or even like 25,000, this is rarefied air. And again, because part of my process is sharing my wins on social media, and a quick little sidebar, it's not bragging, it's sharing, meaning because I understand that somebody, if they see I've sold 25,000 books, they're like, oh, that's cool. It'll take until I've sold 50,000 for them to be willing to actually give it a shot and look at it. So part of this is like advertising, just giving credibility, like there's something to this people if you wanna check it out. So as I'm posting these results, as I'm sharing five-star rave reviews and all these different things, I got people asking like, you know, Andrew, how are you doing this? Can we get on a phone call? Can I pick your brain? That's like the, the favorite term, right? Pick your brain, which 
on the on the front end of it or like when i used to be the person looking to someone it's like me just you know i wasn't trying to take advantage of them i just wanted some valuable information but um to be a little um cynical when you get on the other end of it it's it's translated as like let me time take time out of your day that you don't have but i didn't want to say no and you know again i think it's i don't want to be the person that's hoarding this information either so i thought to myself well all these people are getting on calls and i'm actually not even doing them a service by talking their ear off for an hour let me write a book and break it down. And that way, the next time somebody has something, it's not even expensive, like four bucks on Kindle. So it's not like I'm making them pay me money or anything. It'd be much more expensive for a paid call with me. I'm like, let me actually break this down. And that way, even people that have never met me, they can just learn from this. They can glean from this. And I did this at about, well, the book was probably about 70,000 copies sold when I made this decision. So I spent these, you know, five, six, seven months, whatever it was, building it with the title in mind, knowing that I was not going to release this until I'd passed the 100,000 copy threshold so that there was a little bit more, um, you know, credibility to the title and people would pay a little bit closer attention. But it really came down to a bunch of people asking and me checking with myself, like, is this something that is willing for me to put in the time and exhaustive effort and energy of doing the book, which it was. And I just said, yes. And, and that's kind of what, what got us to where we are now. I love it. Yeah, man. I, I think there's two very important things that you said. Number one is uh, celebrating your successes, right? Like it's a massive, massive part of success. And there's nothing wrong with you achieving something, winning something, doing something and celebrating the shit out of it because it's magnetic. And when you have gratitude for those things and you celebrate those things, you cement in the decisions and the choices and the actions that you took to get there which allows you to carry them forward. And unfortunately, we live in a world where people sometimes chop it down, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a challenging thought for everybody in here. We also have to recognize that our wins and our successes when celebrated create dissonance for people or a divide or a reactance because it's calling them to something different. And when we continue to live in that positive energy and understand that as leaders, as entrepreneurs, as people that are making a difference, our job is to create that possibility. And if everything we do makes everybody happy, we're not really inciting change and getting those emotional-based decisions. And I, I tell people this all the time. I'm like, if somebody really hated you, if they really hated you, they wouldn't take the time to publicly send you a message over and over and over again. And I look at those things as cries for help. I'm like, oh, I'm doing something right. Let me build a relationship. Let me say thank you for the feedback. And then there's times that I learn from it as well, but I, I think it's huge. And I wanted to call out that you said it because I think one of the biggest things that I run into in coaching and entrepreneurs and businesses, it feels like pu pulling teeth to get entrepreneurs to celebrate their wins, like to be proud mm. of the work that they've done and where they've come from. And I swear, it's the one thing that I say more than anything. It's like as a fitness trainer, you're like, drink water, drink water, drink water. As like a coach, to entrepreneurs every day. I'm like, what are your three wins? What are your three wins? Why haven't you shared them? Why aren't you posting them? Where are they going? How come nobody knows about them? And I think it's a massive, massive component of this. And so I want to acknowledge you for that because I think it's huge. And then the other part too, that I really, 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 really love, and this is the undertone of like what you do, whether it's the book in the skies or not, is that you're a, a classic lesson in how to basically guarantee success. You leverage your first book, you treat it like it's an asset. You take the time to put it out there and you're constantly breathing life into it, understanding that the only responsibility that exists is for you to make sure that that book has legs and it has life. So you post it, you share it, you do those things. But in that, you got to spark up conversations where your ideal avatar, where your people are like, Andrew, I have a question. Andrew, I have a question. Andrew, I have a question. And then you're able to hear that, be agile, and then insert solution because you are actually connected to your customers. You are connected to your readers. And this basically is what we guarantee success with. And then I love that you even set a benchmark for yourself. You're like, everybody wants this. I'm going to create an asset because the need is there. And I'm also going to hold myself accountable to keep selling the first book while I write this other one so I can release it when I hit 100,000 copies. And so there's some like, deep principle-based wisdom in what you shared. And so I wanted to call some attention to it because I really love it. Thank you. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's funny. It's funny. It's funny to hear you call it out because, because 
I think the most effective and powerful thing we can do is leverage our human nature. Meaning you take the understanding of the, understanding of the, the what we assign meaning to as the positive aspects of our nature and the negative aspects of our nature and finding the best combination of leveraging that stuff. And in a way, you know, it's like, even by the way, being, I think, I think, I think you can be selfless and selfish at the same time. Meaning if you like help people and I mean, help them over deliver on everything you do with the understanding, like, yeah, you're probably going to get rewarded or if you're not, you're not going to take it personally, but you do this with the understanding that you're going to get some kind of benefit because that will keep you motivated. That will stay on point and there's nothing wrong with it. Your selfishness is being leveraged to help other people. What a beautiful, and not hurt anyone in the process. Like what a beautiful thing. And like, even when you were speaking about people, like, you know, they're hesitant, I'll take a guess and this doesn't count for everybody, but I imagine that there are certain people that they think back to moments in their life, whether it was yesterday or yesteryear, where they saw someone else be successful and they were jealous. And now they're projecting that they're going to be seen as like, you know, the, the bragger or whatever it might be. And people are going to be jealous and resent them. And they just, they're resistant to that. They're resistant to confrontation. Don't blame them. Human nature, self-awareness, not realizing that there's a way of doing it where you're going to be more inspiring and more helpful. And it's almost worth it to have a few people even, you know, hate on you without even telling you if you're helping a lot more people while you're doing it. Yeah, man. I, so much, so much wisdom in there. I'm like, I have like so many tweetables running through my head of like people that I admire or I get coaching from and like just developing all these different things, but I'll save that. But I want to get in, I want to get into this book. Like, here's what's so funny. I found out about it through a mutual friend and he's like, I need to introduce you to Andrew. Like, I know Andrew. Oh, I didn't know he had a new book. And then the moment I saw the title, I was like, I need to know everything about this book. Like hook, line, sinker. And the the consumer marketer in me, because the, the marketer in me loves marketing, the, the Zygarnik effect went nuts. And I was like, I had so much innate curiosity and there's a science to this. And even when you titled your first book, the last law of attraction book you'll ever need to read, like there's so much in there and there's so many lessons in how you do this. And so what is the question that people should be asking themselves if they want their book to have an irresistible title and in the lens of business, if they want their offer or their video or their podcast to have mm-hmm. this irresistible title. Like, how do you break that down? So I'll do it in the, in the context of the book itself and it'll be very easy to translate for other stuff. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So here's the thing, or maybe my brain will be inspired and I'll come up with good examples also because that's how it works sometimes. Um, I, we as, again, human nature, let me, let me have an identification of, of something about myself where if, if it was really told to me, I wouldn't necessarily be proud of it, but at least I'd be aware. I think when we write books, we can't help but want our friends and family to be impressed with us. We want to look cool. And I hate saying cool because now I sound like an old guy. You want to look cool, don't you? But I'll use cool because everyone understands anyway, right? Um, so if you want to look cool, that means you want your book to sound cool. You want a cool sounding title. If you are a nonfiction author whose book shows people how to do something, learn something, achieve something, or solve a problem or challenge in their lives, cool is not what you want. Useful is. So what I try to do with my book titles is I want to, the, the question I want to answer is, am I answering the question to a prospective reader when they read my title of what's in it for them if they read my book? Because if I haven't done that successfully, then I've left a lot of opportunity on the table and I throw some shade at uh, Andy Frisilla in the book, but it's, it's not really personal shade. And it's kind of like honoring to him, but he has that book 75 hard, right? And the reason, and I, I would hope Andy would agree with me. The reason Andy could get away with a title like 75 hard, which is admittedly is catchy, but you don't know what the hell that means, is because he's got millions of, fo- millions of followers, he's got clout, he's got a podcast, and he's got the means to advertise that book as much as he wants. If you're Andy Frisilla and you've got all those followers and all that money, by all means, pick a title that sounds cool. But if nobody knows who you are, you want a book title where if they're trying to search for their solution on Amazon and they read your title, they'll actually know that you could help them. And that's a key thing that people miss out on because there's more interested, not even realizing it, of impressing their friends and family, of impressing their girlfriend or their boyfriend, of looking good on the dating app, of looking good in their Facebook group or whatever else. 
I know this is a long-winded way of saying this, but it, this also goes for whatever program you might do. Make sure it's clear through the title itself what's in it for the person if they actually go into this, delve in, invest in your offer, and actually receive your content. Yeah, I, I, I love that. And I'm glad that you answered that that way because I think all too often people give too much thought and not too much, but they give a, a misaligned amount to what's in the book, but never the wrapping paper to where somebody will actually have the intrigue or curiosity to pick it up, right? Same mm. thing with content. They'll spend hours mapping out a course, mapping out a video, mapping out a podcast, and then they'll spend 10 seconds mapping out a title that doesn't speak to that thing. And to give kudos to an author that I love, Jonah Berger, who I reference all the time, you nailed the cool points because we have to understand that human beings in the world of consumption or business, they're only doing things for one of five reasons, humor, credibility, education, social status, or controversy. And it has to fit into one of those buckets. And, and we have to realize that, that marketing, whether it's a book, a podcast, a video, is taking what we know to be true as the afterstate, but translating it into a language that they can speak where they currently are. And so that's the most important part. So I love that whole cool curiosity, putting it in there. And like, I literally read your book title, the three words I used to sell a hundred thousand books. And I'm like, yep, I'm, I'm interested. And here's what's funny. I sold a hundred and seventy five thousand the traditional way. And I'm like, wait, what words were those? How, how, why? Like, and it yeah. sparks this curiosity in me. And if that curiosity is met with a current pain point or a current question I have, then naturally my proclivity is I'm going to lean in. And so I love that. So go ahead. Yeah. And if I may real quick, I just want to, I want to highlight something for people listening right now. Um, you know, not that we've spoken about the book that much yet, but I've been skirting around the three words itself. And hopefully if the, the last answer I just gave was useful, notice how I was able to give a useful bit, a marketing strategy, a marketing insight without actually telling you what the words are. And this is something that I say near the beginning of the book, like, okay, I'm obviously in this book, I'm going to tell you what these words are, but I really want to preface it by letting everyone know it's not the words themselves on their own, whatever these words are. That's not the impressive thing. The, the, the important thing, the key thing is how the words are leveraged, the lens through which they are viewed through in every strategy and every decision that you make. And that for me is such, it's like such an important thing. It's, it's all about how you use words. It's all about how you use ideas in order to make the impact and get the effective bang for your buck that you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. I love that. So let's talk about the book. Give, a, give us the overview. Give, a, give us the. Yeah, well, so basically the, the whole thing is I'm, you know, I'm, again, I'm skirting around the three words themselves. I don't want to spoil the surprise for people. But basically what I'm, what I'm delivering is a, hopefully a very useful, very powerful philosophy. The very philosophy, the very strategy, the very lens of reality with which I used to get my book to 100,000 copies in sales. And with those words, I basically break down all these strategies of what I did. For, for example, how I put myself in front of tens of thousands of people on Facebook for free, how I leveraged YouTube, how I came up with the right title and all. I gave you one piece of it. There's, I gave a lot more in the book. Um, how to leverage the subtitle because there's an algorithmic value to the subtitle that people overlook. Along with this, copywriters is a great subheadline also. Um, I dive into interviews. I dive into all these different pieces and I preface like you don't have to do all of them, but I basically give this plethora of options and plethora of ideas that people can say, okay, let me take my content, let me take my book or my, my info product or whatever it might be and run it through these ideas and try and put myself out into the world and position and present myself in this way so that people are going to be excited about what I offer. People are going to recommend it. People are going to tell their friends. People are ideally, hopefully will write some five-star rave reviews. And there will just be a power and a momentum. And as a perfect example, even this where a friend, a mutual friend was telling you about me again, where you were already aware of me. But what if you weren't? This is how this works without me even looking, without me even knowing what's going on, because I've invested so and planted so many seeds in so many different ways. There's all these ways by which right now, as we speak, somebody new is being introduced to me through the book or through a recommendation through some other way that allows me to continue to push this content forward and serve more people and get it out there more deeply. Yeah, and, and here's what's funny about the recommendation. I just met him about three weeks prior and his email wasn't like, oh, I think you know Andrew. It's like, hey, 
I know you have a podcast. I haven't even listened to it, but I have an incredible guest that would make a massive, massive impact on your audience. And he has a brand new book. And so barely knowing me in increasing like his authority and social status by design, he wanted to introduce me to you. And it just sparked his interest knowing I had a podcast. And so what do you think are some of the most important things for people to focus on or remember when it comes to leveraging the power of relationships and word of mouth? Um, in the end, you're always you're serving the other person and you're serving everybody. You're serving everybody in every way that you can think of that's applicable to them. So, for example, there's this person who quite let's um, I'll, I'll try to be you get, like I'll, I'll, I'll be it sounds egotistical, whatever. I think I'm a good podcast guest. All right. Hopefully I am. Hopefully people agree as they listen to me, right? If not, I apologize. Um, but assuming I am, this person is doing me a solid, which their social currency. They're doing you a solid, which is social currency for them through you. Like this person by recommending, this sounds egotistical, by recommending me, if you take me on and I do a good job, that person looks good. That's a win for them. But you, by taking that risk and trying it, you look good for your audience because you've put someone in front that's giving them more value. You look good. I've had the opportunity to shine. I look good. And ideally, the audience has a chance to learn something and implement it. So they've been like the, the key to all this is every person that's involved on a macro or micro level. How many of these people can you serve in the way that's specific to them simultaneously without driving yourself crazy? I mean, there's a hierarchy. If you know you can only successfully serve three out of the five people, well, at least do that. But shoot for five people. Hell, shoot for 10 that you don't even know where they're going to be served in whatever way, shape, or form you can think of. That, to me, is the crux of relationships. Yeah, and there's nothing egotistical in there, man. Like, this this is what I teach. The reason I trademark relationships beat algorithms is, like, one of my marketing laws is that everyone has to feel valued or get value whether they give you their credit card or not. And intrinsically, yeah. I use it as a marketing law, but what we're talking about is humanity. Like, everything we do in this world is based on relationships, and I have yet to be in a relationship where I felt taken advantage of, where I felt lied to, where I felt stolen from, where I felt used, that I wanted to then turn around and reciprocate back something positive. And so at the core of this, this is like human being principles, but unfortunately, I don't know why in the world of business, it became a lost art and transactions took over for the transformations. And so nothing egotistical in there. You are a great podcast guest. This is your second one and I love it. And yes, there's a, there's a lot of benefit. And I, I really believe, and, and as cliche as it sounds, is like rising tides. But I would venture to say, just knowing you from the outside without being in your ecosystem, that that's probably one of the biggest strategies, quote unquote strategies that was utilized to sell your book. Because when people find you, when they get a hold of you, you're not like, no, I'm not going to talk to you. Buy my book. You're like, how can I connect with you? How can I serve you? And yes, on paper, it might take 20 more seconds than it would to send them a link. But that 20 seconds is the biggest distinguishing factor for how that person turns around and utilizes their social currency to be a part of your world. Yeah. And, and not that this is wrong with it. I mean, everyone has their own schedule that they need to protect. Everyone's got their own mindset and their own approach. But anytime someone did invite me onto a podcast, you know, sight unseen, like not even recommendation, they just heard about me. At no point did I go, I don't know how many, how many viewers you have and no, like how many episodes you've done. Like, you know what? No, like at the, in my back of my mind, the worst case, I'll have more practice at giving a better interview. And maybe I can really help this person, whether they've got one audience member or they've got thousands or they've got tens of thousands. Like my attitude was like, just get out there and give value. And again, it's a work. It's also for me, again, I'm, I'm a box checker where it's like, I want to do something every day in service to the book there. I, that counts as my thing. Thank God I found this random stranger who invited me on their podcast because now I've got, I don't have to worry about what my thing's going to be today. It's everything's a perk. Everything's a, a value in that way. Yeah. And, and here's what's crazy. Like you and I are you and I are so aligned. But I, I think about this. I think about business, books, business, success, courses, audience, social, boom, boom, boom. Nothing happens behind the computer that gains us traction where we want to go. Everything happens in the real world. And to this day. I've been on over 4,000 podcasts and I have never said no. So I've been, and I don't talk about this a lot, but I've been almost 30 people's first ever episode. And they're like, why would you come on my show? And I was like, because somebody was my first episode 
And just because it's your first doesn't mean it's going to be your last. And I've kept that philosophy to the point where my schedule is designed so that all I do is be in relationships with people. I say yes. And sometimes it takes me six months, right? I'm like, hey, listen, I'm slammed. I have a course launch. I have two events. I would love to come on your show. Can we schedule it out five months in advance? But still to this day, I have yet to say no to absolutely any show. And I, I want to give weight and credence to that because I think a lot of people think about even the social currency or the benefit in such a short lens without understanding the length of the ripple. And the length of the ripple. compound interest. The compound interest, right? Compound and, interest. And you don't know where it's going to come from. Yeah. Never. And you know, it's funny and that's hearing you say that. It reminds me that I love being someone's first episode because if that person, if that's the next Joe Rogan, there, so there's, there's two episodes, there's three episodes and I'm just making this up, up and you know more about podcasting. So you say, Andrew, you're wrong about this, but I think there's three podcast episodes that are the most viewed or listened to by each podcast. One is just like the biggest star or the one that has the best track on algorithm. One's the most recent one. And then one's the first one. That's how, like, that's my estimation. People, if they like a podcast, they're always going to check out that very first episode. It, that's like, it's part of their discovery process when they like it. So if I am the first episode of something that makes it big, doesn't matter when they get to 10 years from now, people are going to keep going and, and buying my book from there because I was that guest at that moment. Yep. Yeah. And, and that compound interest is like a deep part of the, the models that I teach and it's immeasurable on the results, but I wouldn't want to measure it anyways, because I would never even have enough perspective to understand what comes back when you live in that game. And when you play that game, and I think about it, when I meet people at events, when I have conversations with people, right, like that extra mile, which uh, one of the things I say, and I believe you do this better than most, is that we'll never win on width, but we can always win on depth, right? And depth for me is how can I go one step further than everybody else? Sometimes it's 10 seconds, sometimes it's a minute, but that 10 seconds equals some of the greatest things that have ever happened in my life and my business. Like I've been somebody's first podcast episode eight years ago. And now they're three businesses later doing $20 million in revenue. And they call me and wire me a hundred grand and say, please come help us scale this company. Hey, do you remember? I'm like, I loved that show. And like that's happened more times than I have fingers on my hand. And I think in the philosophy to tie this all the way back to what you learned from Dan Kennedy is like, what's that one thing that I can do to breathe life into my business every day? And the way that I think about it is what's that one thing I can do to breathe life into anybody who shows up in my space that day. And that doesn't mean I get on calls with everybody, but I'm like, hey, you took the time to message me. Maybe I can't jump on a 20 minute call for free. Maybe I can't give you that for free, but I can sit in my chair for a minute and be like, what do I have? Or what direction can I send you? Or what way can I help you so that you feel seen, heard and respected? And so that interaction becomes a positive interaction that helps them go on their road. So like, this is a very fucking important topic and I haven't talked about this a lot. So I'm really glad that like, we kind of pulled this one up. And so, yeah, I stay on your soapbox, Andrew, stay on your soapbox. You. I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. So and um, I just want to highlight real so quick, for, if I may, George, go ahead. Um, I, I never aced the math portion of my SATs, but I can count the number of fingers on your hands and you basically indirectly told people that this has been worth over a million dollars, you being this. Way, way more. I, I'd say measurably to the tune of probably five to $10 million. Measurably. Like to the wow. tune. Wow. And like, I'll and give a tangible example. Yes. I'll give a tangible example. And he's probably listening to this. So Ken, I love you. Uh, I gave a keynote in Austin, Texas at Ryan Moran's event, uh, Brand Builder Summit, many years ago, four years ago, probably 700 people in the audience. And I was the only one without a back table at the thing. Like, I'm like, I'm not here to sell. I'm here to serve. And I was like, but I'm here all day. Like my wife said I could come to the event. I'm at the event. So when I'm done, I will answer every one of your questions if I'm available. And I answered questions for about 16 hours. Like people still talk about it to this day, but I was like, I'm here. And I was like, if I have 700 people and I give each one of them five minutes, I'll still get it done. And here's what's so crazy. I didn't do anything except answer questions. And I'm like, hey, if you need anything else or once that works, here's my email. Here's my email. Here's my email. That one keynote generated over $2 million over the next year. And I did nothing except answer questions. 
I got flown to Scotland. I got flown to the Netherlands. I got flown to Amsterdam. On the flight back from Amsterdam is where I met the LA Clippers who then hired me. Like all of that game happened by saying yes. And I'll never forget this one. They came to me and they're like, we just lost 80% of our business. Their number one carrier of their product pulled out and they wanted to launch an e-commerce brand. They had 30 days basically of runway before they went out of business. And they're like, what do I do? And I was like, I can't answer this question in five minutes, but I would love to help you. And so I sat down with them later and I mapped out for like an hour, like everything that I would do. I didn't hear from them for nine months, not a peep, nothing. Randomly, I opened my inbox one morning and I get an email and it says, when can you come to Chicago? And I was like, huh? And I opened it and he's like, we're ready to hire you for a three-day intensive. When can you get to Chicago and where do I wire the six figures? And it was the company that I took an hour of my time to help. And here's the thing, I forgot about it. I wasn't like, oh, I'm doing this because I was like, I have an answer. I have time. And this fits in my bucket of what's the one thing I can do right now to increase that ripple or that compound interest just into the world. And I, I, Andrew, I have more of those stories and I can count. I feel like the only reason I am where I am right now in business, in ownership and companies with the, with the Rolodex that I have, with the accomplishments that I have is simply just because of this one thing we're talking about. Nothing more. I would credit 95% of my success to this one topic. If, if you haven't already done this in, in a book, um, this sounds like a wonderful book for you to write. Do you know how many, Honestly, do, you, do you know my publisher has been trying to pull like five books out of me for like the last like couple of years? And I was like, when the time is ready, I will, I will gladly, gladly, gladly share. But I, yeah. you brought this up and sparked this. And thank you for letting me talk for a minute on my own show, even though I'm interviewing no, you. But I want everybody had to, to put that out there. Listen <laughs> to that. The principles that Andrew are talking about, even the ones that he's talking about in business, philosophy, the ones that he's implemented into his business and into improving his business every single day are literally like the laws in which I operate by that are probably single-handedly directed to my success. And so give credence to what has been talked about. And we have a little bit more, but like I just, the weight of this is huge. Like I can't put a bow on it anymore for anybody. It's that when you understand the principles and the philosophies that you teach in your nonfiction book, Masters, uh, a sales and marketing book and you apply them, it makes a massive, massive difference. Yeah. And if I may, George, not even what I've said so far today, what you've said alone is you've basically given people eight figures worth of free advice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a ripple. There's a ripple. So I do want to ask about one thing because you alluded to this earlier. And I think this is a really, really important topic, right? Because I live in the world of entrepreneurs, e-commerce, transactions, right? Everybody wants reviews. Everybody wants sales. Everybody wants video testimonials. Everybody wants them to tell their friends about them. But I've yet to see anybody go about this the right way. So break it down for us because I feel like you are the master at this. Thank you. So thank you for that compliment. And, and I'll preface it's, it's not that you said it this way, but it, just so everyone knows it's not the way, it's a way. So I'll, I'll give my example of, of what I do. And I think, you know, in the context of, well, we'll look at it as reviews for books, just because that's, that's the world we're really in here. I don't chase reviews, but I invite them. And what I mean by that is I'm always doing what I can to under-promise and over-deliver in every facet of what I do through the book, not only in the delivery of the content itself, but my reader's experience following the book when they have no more money to give me. So one thing the story I love to tell about this or the example I have to tell is I think, you know, a lot of independent authors out there is a situation where they'll go on Amazon, they'll put out their new book and they'll get a, a five-star rate review. And the very next thing they do after getting that review is they call their boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife, whatever, like, honey, come check this out. Check out this awesome review. And they sit back and they bask in it and they have this huge smile on their face and they feel really good about themselves. And then they wait for the next review to come in. And what they've done is they've completely squandered a brilliant opportunity. Like for me now, here's the thing. Amazon no longer has this functionality. Nope. And Amazon no longer has this functionality because they discontinued it because not, not enough people were using it, which boggles my mind. But what I would do, 
when a five-star review came in is I would immediately reply back in the on the Amazon page in the listing to them and not just, hey, thanks, it's, it's awesome, I appreciate it. No, no, I would actually look at what they said in the review and I would address it personally. If they love chapter four, I'd say, hey, here's a funny story about chapter four that you might not have known, blah, blah, blah. Or, hey, I'm, I'm glad you like that method. Here's an extra little tweak that you can do based on what you said that's gonna give you extra mileage. And not only am I giving this reader, this reviewer, something that they've never gotten before, the acknowledgement of an author, which really breaks that stigma that authors are too busy or too good to, to interact, but I've also made this huge loud statement that I'm going to respond to anybody else that bothers to write a review. So I'm simultaneously serving that person and inviting it. By that same token, um, I'm giving people massive bonuses in my book that they have to opt into, and then I'm emailing them massive value for free. And in one or two of those emails, I'll sneak in, by the way, if you wanna write a review for my book, here's an easy link. And the link doesn't just go to the listing, it goes to the write a review section of the listing. They don't even have to scroll. I am stripping away every possible bit of resistance or inconvenience to them doing that. So how does that apply to testimonials? Well, I apologize that I don't remember the name of the product because I don't use it, but there's certain products where you can email someone and from that screen, they just click record and just record a testimonial or give them three short answers and say, listen, just a sentence, have contests. We're like, listen, provide answers to these questions. I'm gonna enter into a contest where you're gonna get a free day of coaching with me or a free week of coaching or a free month of coaching. In other words, whether you're giving value upfront or you're giving value on the back end, find ways to continually incentivize people. Whether it's the whole Robert Cialdini, you know, influence book where they're talking about reciprocity, or you're just like trying to do right by them and even making a transactional. Like if you do this thing, I'm not, I'm not going to pay you for a good review. In fact, it doesn't need to be a good review. But if you do this thing, I'm going to enter you in this contest where you can get X, Y, Z. Like find ways of actually enhancing their experience with the content and the problem that they're trying to solve that your stuff happens to solve for them. Yep, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna kudos on top of this and everyone I want you to understand this, that getting a review, getting a testimonial, getting a share has to be a byproduct after an established relationship and their needs have been met first. Yeah. And that is one of the easiest ways to think about this, right? Because we have to understand what happens as a human being. And I, I like to give real life examples. Like I gave this to somebody yesterday. I was like, hey, if you walk into a coffee shop every day and you say good morning to a person and they never respond, how many days would it take before you didn't say good morning anymore? And they're like, maybe three. I'm like, great. What if on day three, you said good morning, they didn't respond and somebody else said, hey, good morning to you. Which relationship are you going to remember? And it's the human game of relationships. People want to feel seen, they want to feel heard, and they want to feel respected. And if somebody's going to take the time out of their day, even though we sold them a book and sold them a course and sold them a product, and to let us know, hey, this meant the world to me. Hey, I love this section. Hey, I loved when you said this. We owe it to them to respond if we expect or even want any chance of a successful relationship and that ripple to take over. And I think it's a very, very important thing to understand and remember that we always have to remember who pays our bills and who keeps us in business. And it's the people that actually buy, review and share and take the time to comment and engage. And so you have to make sure that you're always focusing on the people that have gotten you to where you are and understanding that there's humanity underneath it. And so I, I love that. I love that. Yeah. And if I may just say one more thing to... To have, for lack of a better word, reverence for the person, whether they give you a positive or a negative review. Because if I'm running numbers, and they're very loose numbers, but I think fewer than less than 4% of my readership across all formats globally gave a review or, or even just a rating, like the reviews are even less. Ratings and reviews combined, probably like four, less than 4%. My number is actually a very high number. When you look at my number of reviews to sales ratio compared to other wonderful law of attraction books, I'm like way ahead. So if I'm way ahead, but it's less than 4%, that's saying like reviews technically are hard to come by in the sense that when, when you want that review from that person, they've got distractions. They've got a spouse screaming at them in the background. They've got their boss that they have to reply to an email. They've got an angry customer they've got to take care of. They've got uh, the doctor visit they have to do. They have all these, they've got their Netflix show that they don't want to miss. 
All these different things are competing with the space and energy that they're going to take to leave that review, which is why you want to make such an impact of value and impression on them that they're like, no, I'm leaving this review. And I'll say one more thing here because um, I love it. I, I was so pleasantly shocked when I got it. Someone left a review on Amazon back in April where they're like, I never leave reviews, but I have to leave a review on this because after reading Andrew's book, and I'm paraphrasing, after reading Andrew's book, um, I went from having my business shut down with everything going on in the world to making millions of dollars every month in my business. I think that's a wonderful enough of incentive of a person to like, I'm leaving a review. And by that same token, somebody else, she left a review, a comment on my YouTube channel. It wasn't an Amazon review. She left it on YouTube where she'd been trying to um, get pregnant for eight years. She tried everything. She used law of attraction methods for two months. She got pregnant. Now she's working on her second. Even that amazing thing, which thank, I'm so grateful she left on YouTube, that didn't get an Amazon review. It's like, cause you, so you never like, you want to move heaven and earth for everybody in every way, shape possible, because you know, only a percentage of those. And it wasn't like she was refusing to give the Amazon review. It just occurred to her that was better to give a YouTube review. It wasn't a punishment, but I'm just saying, you never know how or when or why these reviews will come, but you do want to have reference for the, uh, for the understanding that people have so much going on in their lives. Everything that they give you, every bit of feedback is a true gift that needs to be hard fought and earned with every inch and fiber of your being. And you do that by making sure whatever it is that you have just delivers. It just delivers. And after it's done delivering, you deliver on top of that as well. That's like the attitude, the mentality that I like to carry in with everything I do. And some of it is up is, is effort that I have to keep pouring on. And some of it is built in and sold effort. Like the 50 to 60 emails that are pre-written that when people opt into my bonuses, they just get every day that I don't have to maintain, but I did put in the work on the front end. There's, oh, and I'm sorry, I'm going off on a rant here in the word salad, but it's so important. And there's so much people can get if they just listen and apply this. I love it. And I think it is the best rant to land this plane because I'm like, yes. And I could do 10 more podcasts with you just on that rant alone. So we'll have to save those for the future. Hell yeah. So I'm like in love with this, but where can everybody get the book? Where do you recommend they get the book? Like give them the whole spiel because I'm going to grab a copy as well because I want to start listening to it or reading it. Thank you. Uh, so I'll make it easy. If you go to awesomemarvelous.com, it's got very links to both books that go straight to the U.S. Amazon site. But if you're international, just search your local Amazon or Audible regionally for either the last law of attraction book you'll ever need to read or three words I use to sell 100,000 books. So awesomemarvels.com is a good starting point and which also goes to my YouTube channel, which by the way, even if you don't dig law of attraction, check out my YouTube channel because what you're going to see is an imperfect yet... Um, consistent or yet, you know, a uh, real effortful action towards marketing my book through three video content. So just to check out and see how I get my book out there is another good example. But um, hopefully that made that simple, whether you want to pull out your wallet or get some free content. Either way, you can probably tell when I mean this, it is my purest intention that some form of my content serves whoever's listening in some way, shape or form. Yeah, man, it's, it's apparent and it's why uh, we're friends and I appreciate you immensely because you live what you teach and you embody it and I appreciate it. And I see you and everybody listening, uh, I would highly recommend you go get a piece of Andrew's content, whether it's the last law of attraction book you ever need to read, the three words or less. I used to sell 100,000 books or courses or programs or YouTube videos or whatever since the principles apply. The YouTube is there. So the website is awesome, marvelous. Awesomemarvelous.com awesomemarvelous.com. So we'll make sure we put that in the show notes. Andrew, from the bottom of my heart, man, thank you for coming back on the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for letting me riff on my own podcast and like inspiring thoughts. I, I'm awake now. I'm ready to go. I appreciate it immensely, dude. Hey, George, I mean this in every sense of the word. You're the host for the reason and you have this value. I love that we had an opportunity for you to riff on because you've got so much magic to share. I'm so grateful that you let me come on while you were sharing some of your magic as well. Yeah, man, it's, it's an absolute honor. So for everybody listening, make sure you go to awesomemarvelous.com. Uh, I did read the first book and it was incredible. I'm adding the second book, get a copy, get it in, start using the principles, start using the words. And most importantly, make sure this episode does not become shelf help. If nothing more, go back, listen, write one thing down that you took away from either Andrew or myself and put it into practice and do it consistently. And trust me, it will be worth it, but it will do nothing if you do nothing with it. So 
Without further ado, that's where we're going to wrap the show. So here comes the outro. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Mind of George Show. Please make sure you subscribe on your favorite channel that you listen to, whether it's in the car, on your run, or in front of the television. Make sure you leave a review to help other people know how much you love the show and, quite frankly, help me know how much you love the show because I read them all. And if you want five-minute daily insider nuggets on business, marketing, leadership, mindset, or any other tool that you would need to build and scale your company, make sure you register for my invite-only newsletter. I call it the Lightkeeper Lessons. I hold nothing back here and I share everything that works for me, my friends and mentors, and thousands of my students around the world to thrive in life and keep our lighthouses shining brightly. We will eventually be charging for this, but for now, for you, because you're listening to the podcast, it's free. So if you want to sign up, go to www.lightkeeper.club, fill out the application, and then check your inbox because it's magic. You actually have to open the emails to get the gifts inside. Otherwise, you can get access to my Relationships Beats Algorithms Facebook community and other free resources on the website. So just go to www.mindofgeorge.com and I'll see you in the next episode.